You are now listening to the Superhero Education Podcast, featuring Professor Eugene Pitchford and Dr. Steve Gurner. We are real educators tackling the real topics in education. Listen to be informed, inspired, and entertained. With no further ado, here are your hosts to the Superhero Educators Podcast. All right, we want to welcome everyone to the latest edition of the Superhero Education Podcast. My name is Eugene Pitchford, and you know, we have the greatness, the Muhammad Ali of education. We got Steve Garner. Steve, what's up? How's it going, Eugene? I'm thrilled for called, this show. I almost called you another Steve. <laughs> I'm thrilled for this show. This is an important topic for our listeners that we'll get a lot of information and insights from. All right, so Steve, we got, we got, like, this is something we never do. I think we've only done this maybe once or twice to where we have multiple people on the show at one time. So this is a pretty exclusive show. And about a, about a week and a, about a week ago, uh, Steve and I were eating lunch and we were talking about I, I, our paths in education and how um, I have been the minority as the educator and Steve has also been the minority as an educator. And so in my case, my case, my minority case would be uh, working in a, a white educational environment and Steve's minority case would be working in a black educational environment. And we were talking about like some different struggles or different things we had to do right away or you know, just different resources or just different paths to greatness. And we said, well, you know what? This would be a great podcast show. We could get like two more people that have had like experiences that may be different from ours or uh, just different experiences of people in the field right now that's, that's doing it at a high level. And so we started thinking like, okay, who can we, who can we grab on a show that, that are doing big things in the city and they are the minority and that they're comfortable talking about it because everybody isn't comfortable talking about it. So I said, I said, Steve, I think I got a couple of people. Um, I think I reached out to, I don't know, I think I reached out to Randy first because I was on the phone talking to him. And then I um, had my wife reach out to, to Sarah. And so we, we thank you all for, for coming on to the show. And b- before we like delve into it, I'm going to just go in order of my screen. Randy, I want you to introduce yourself, what you do, all those particular things, what makes you important, Randy. Or lack or not important. Um, so just tell us a little bit about yourself, Randy. All right. Uh, first of all, it's nice to be on this podcast. Uh, you guys do amazing things. Uh, Randy Drew, Whitefish Bay High School. I've been out in this district for going. This is my eighth uh, academic school year working in Whitefish Bay. Um, I have moved all the way up from, I don't even know what I was, student advisor uh, inside the high school building, basically a glorified hall monitor slash uh, study hall guy to now um the last three years I've been uh, promoted to the district student engagement coordinator um also do a lot of work outside of the building with our African-American male initiative under the AAY umbrella that's part of the closing achievement gap consortium uh, hubbed in Concordia so I've done amazing works out there met a lot of amazing people that's where I've met um the world famous uh, Eugene Pitchford uh, ran into Dr. Steve Gardner, Gardner there before. Uh, so I, I try to wear a lot of hats. Um, I've been kind of running my horizons, doing things 
and talking to people um, and just getting more comfortable in my skin and with this quest that we're on right now. So it's a, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. All right, Sarah, your turn. Thank you, Eugene. Thank you, Steve. Randy, it's great to be here with you. Um, I am so excited to be on this show. I'm extremely passionate about education as a white educator who's taught uh, in a number of settings, but one in which I've always been the minority. This is something that is really close to home and something I'm very passionate about. Uh, I started off my educational career actually teaching overseas, which is something I said I would never do, that I would never leave the U.S. because we have so many issues in our own backyard and you see white people running here, there, and everywhere all over the world and not addressing the racism and, and the inequity in our own cities. Um, however, that, that is what I was called to at that time, which ended up being a, a year of a lot of growth for me. After that, I taught in Madison Public Schools in a school that was truly diverse, that was made up of kids of all different um, backgrounds, races. Many, many students were multiracial. At that time, I also coached at a local high school. Um, I ran a girls group called Boss, which is Believing in Our Strong Sisters. At, um, I founded and ran that group at a community center in the area as well. Um, and after four years there, I had to make the hard decision to move to Milwaukee, um, but did so. And I work now at Milwaukee College Prep. I was a teacher at the North Campus. And now I'm at um, ELA and Social Studies Academic Dean at our Lloyd Street Campus. Um, and I've also coached a number of youth sports here in Milwaukee as well. All right, Steve, sometimes people forget our background. Steve, why don't you go? Sure. So this show, we're really talking about impacting students who don't look like us. And as Eugene referenced, I, I actually started my teaching career teaching. I taught uh, first and second grade to a Latinx community in Reno, Nevada. Then I came back to Milwaukee, back towards uh, family and where I grew up and teaching predominantly African-American community and students. And then for the last uh, over 10 years at the university level and working with uh, superhero educator and superhero education. And for me, um, I started at as um, alternative high school where I was 18 teaching 21 year olds. It's such a weird, such a weird thing. Um, uh, I was 21, they were 18. Let me had reversed that. I was 21, they were 18. It was, it was such a weird thing. Um, then spent a considerable amount of time in Milwaukee public schools, then made the venture out there to uh, um, Concordia as a, as a professor. And then um, like Steve says, superhero educator, superhero education. Uh, a lot of consulting, a lot of presentations. So that's that's kind of been my path. But it's not about me and Steve today. It, it, it's, it's about Sarah and Randy. And so I want to I, I want to start off. I got I got the first question, Steve. So Sarah and Randy, you're looking at jobs. Sarah, you find Milwaukee College Prep. Randy, you find. Whitefish Bay. You're filling out an application. I'm assuming you guys just didn't get a job without interviewing. Um, so you fill out an application or you're talking to someone. What are you thinking before getting the job? 
Because if it was me, I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to be Randy for a minute. I'm thinking, like, okay, are there any other Black people here? Like, and what do they do? And how do they like it? Um, I'm thinking, oh, God, how would I be received by parents? I'm thinking, can I, can I make teacher friends on this job? Um, but, but, but Sarah and, and, and Randy, you're not hired yet, but you're thinking about it. So you're thinking about applying or you have applied. Like what's going through your, are, are you even conscious that Sarah, you may be one of the few white people and all black and Randy, you're one of the, you may be one of the few black people, but the students are all white. Like, like what's going through your mind or is that not even a thing in your, in your minds at that time? Um, for me, one of the first things I'm thinking about or wondering is leadership, um, leadership of the school, um, looking at are there Black leaders in this school? Uh, do you have other Black educators? That's something that's really important to me. I want to make sure that I'm in an environment where Black students have Black teachers and principals and deans and leaders. Um, whom they can look up to because that's not something that I can be or I can do. So I'm looking at that. Um, I'm looking at what is the focus of this school? What's the mission? What's the vision? Is it centered around uh, creating a more equitable society? Is it centered around creating or empowering students to become agents of change in their lives and communities? and to really understand the foundation of where the school is coming from, why was it founded, what's its purpose, and what does is, what is the leadership and staff look like? I, I, I like it. I like it. Like, Steve, like you, like you don't know this, Sarah, but you said some cold words that caught Steve's attention. I already know what he's thinking. You said some words that caught his attention. Randy, go ahead. I, I really wish I could give an answer as good as hers um, because I, I walked into education and I don't even know if I told Eugene this story, but if I would never in a million years would have said I would be in the position I am right now with education, I wouldn't even know how to get here. Um, when I had started working at the high school, that's why I started so low. Like I was basically like the hall monitor and I had just finished playing professional football in Canada in the CFL. I had just came off an injury. I came home. I was lost. I was just, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and the coach at Whitefish Bay had called and said, Hey, you know, you want to coach? You're not sure. I'm not doing that. So I started coaching. Then when I started coaching, um, they're like, Oh, where are you working? I'm like, Oh, I'm working over here at this uh, uh, school for kids who get kicked out of school. I can't even think of St. Charles. And I'm like, oh, I'm working over here just, you know, trying to see what my next move is going to be. And then uh, they said, well, we got this position in the building, you know, it'd be great for you to be here and coach here. So I said, okay, if I'm going to use it as a one-stop shop, I might as well. So that was in 2014 when I started and not, no, 2013 when I started, sorry. And I never once thought about, am I going to be the only black person here? Because I was a football coach for one. And just to give a little bit of more background information on me, I was a 220 kid in Milwaukee. So although I lived and grew up on 39th and Burl, I went to the Sherman Park Boys and Girls Club my whole entire life. I never, ever went to an MPS school. I went to uh, Dunwood Elementary, Bayside Middle School and graduated from Nicolet. So being one of a few 
or the only one has never been anything new to me. So that was never even a thought when I started working at the time. It was just, I'm doing this little football gig and I got a little gig in the building. Let's see what comes of it. So that, that never crossed my mind. But once again, I had a different background, which why it never became an issue in the beginning. Randy, when you use a sports analogy in football, Sarah and I probably understand that very well, but Eugene not being an athlete himself, yeah. Some of those makeovers had just so you what? know. Wait a minute. Just so you know. Wait, wait, hold, hold tight, hold tight. So. In eighth grade, I was the man <laughs> in every sport. Just yeah. to be very clear to the listeners, something happened between eighth grade and ninth grade, but in eighth grade, a growth spurt. Everybody caught their growth spurt. They, they, they caught them growth spurts. Now they catch it. Like, <laughs> just, like, like you I just know, knew like, when he started talking football and sports, I just knew. Uh oh, we're going over Eugene's head look, here. Look, Steve. When I, look, when I was, I, eight, I play fantasy with him, so I, I know. <laughs> look, I know. Let, look, let me say this just to clear the record here. <laughs> Whenever we had picks, I was always a starting pick. Always. <laughs> I'm certified in these streets in eighth grade as as it pertains to sports. Okay. Get that out there. Right. I didn't ninth grade though. I'm honest. <laughs> so we're here with Randy and Sarah. So we're we're really talking about the impacting students who don't look like us. And I, I, I love that question and kind of gets us started. What for listeners out there, what skill set do you both have that makes you successful? So what mm-hmm. as people go, well, I want to do that, or I've always thought I could do that, but what, what skill set do you have or God-given talents or gifts or what should people really have? Give me two or three that come to mind. We'll start with you, Sarah. Um, the number one thing is not actually a skill set or a talent. It's your mindset. It's why are you doing this work? It's as a white educator, um, when you're talking to white friends or family members and they hear about where you teach and they're like, oh, that's so great you do that. Or, oh, how do you feel about that? It's about how you react to those comments. Um, it's about, do you, do you go with those comments? Oh, thank you. Because if you're thanking them when they're saying, oh, that's so great. You do that. What do they mean by that? What are they really saying when they say those things? So it's really about your mindset. Um, it's about pushing yourself to have those discussions with friends and family members. Well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by those kids? Or what do you mean by that? So great. Or why would, of course, I love what I do. I'm teaching kids. Um, and it's really digging into that and unpacking the own complex that, that um, as white educators, we can often, often fall into this white savior mentality or we're doing such good things. And if that's, if that's why you're doing it, then you really need to evaluate your work. Um, and so for me, it's about mindset. It's about loving kids, first and foremost. Um, it's, about, it's about desiring to have a more equitable and just society and seeing education as a means for for societal reform, for community reform, for empowering someone's life to be that change in the future. Um, so I think mindset is number one. Ooh, there's so many things I could say about this. Um, I would say also just coming in with humility, coming in ready to learn, not having all the answers, um, seeking out Black coworkers and leaders to make sure that they can help hold you accountable to get feedback on things you might say or do that you might not even realize you're saying you're doing. Uh, so those those things are are really important. Randy, three three things that that I say helped me be successful. 
uh, and what the, what I do and bring to the table, I would say one is uh, being genuine. Um, when I first started working just in a school building period, like I said, I had no educational background. I didn't know what equity was. I didn't know what inequities were. I, none of that stuff. So just out the bat, being genuine. Because one thing I do know, I'm good at reading people. Um, so when you're genuine, kids, high flyers, low flyers, kids who just don't get it maybe all the way or on the fence, they can read through BS before anything. And you don't need to be a 4.0 student to do that. So genuine, being genuine, um, in my opinion, is, is, is uh, one of my strong traits. Um, and I'm very, very, very good. And me and uh, Pitchford has talked about this a lot. I'm very good at navigating. I'm very good with my social navigation. And that is something that I'm constantly aware of because for a while in Whitefish Bay, until this year, to my past seven years, I was the only black man in the building in a high school with 70 something uh, teachers. Uh, so my navigational skills have always been up top. And I say that because like, once again, I'm a 220, I'm a product of the 220 program. So my navigational skills have always helped me uh, able to maneuver and, and uh, do what I need to do to get my point across, get the right message across and, and for people to receive my message the right way. And not just navigational skills with my coworkers, but also with these families and these kids. Because I will talk to one kid differently, I may talk to another kid, not because I like one more than the other, but because I want them to receive the message in which the way I want them to receive it and with the best way that they'll give me that feedback. Um, so I would say uh, my social navigational skills, uh, being genuine, and then just holding myself accountable, being a hard worker. And that just comes from my sports background, but I'm willing to put the work in. So if I put my mind to it, it'll get done. All right. Can so I jump in on that too? Go ahead. I got to loop back because Randy said something really important that I, that I want to come back and touch on. Um, in addition to mindset, in addition to humility, that concept of being genuine is absolutely critical. Kids know when you're being fake. And as a white educator, if you're coming into a black environment and you're trying to to be fly or be lit or be with it, number one, you're stereotyping because you're trying to be what you think a, a black child would think is cool. And there is such diversity within blackness and within black children and their interests and in, in what kids enjoy. Um, and they will, they can tell from a mile away when you're being fake. So just be yourself, whatever unique qualities you have, whatever unusual interests you have, you will have students who, you, who can identify with you um, and students will respect you. They will respect you if you are yourself and if they realize like, hey, this person really cares about me. They won't care how quirky or funny or whatever you are. And they'll know that you are there because you care. So I just had to add that. So thank you, Randy, because that was a critical point. No, no problem. So I want to give you a fun fact about Steve. So two years ago, we were, um, we were um, at WNOV which is on Capitol, like, what is that? What street is that? It's by where the old Pitt's funeral home is. Um, well, Tatonia is right there. So real close to- Like right off of Tatonia and Capitol. Yep. And so we, uh, we also went and visited my grandmother who lives on 11th and Capitol that day. Steve came with me. And then um, we visited Saloa, Lutheran school, which is over there also. So I'm not, I'm not upper class like Randy. I, I try to stay street, but Randy may get me a little bit. 
But Steve pulled the ultimate boss card on me. He was like, we can go down the alley. And I said, Steve, I'm black. I don't go down alleys. <laughs> Steve's like, hit a U-turn, go down the alley, and you know, we'd be right there. I'm like, Steve, I don't, I don't know about this. Like, you got some confidence I don't have in the hood. And so that brings me to this point here. Um, when I was in NPS, I really didn't feel like I had to prove anything to anybody. Because it that was all I knew. I, I knew the players of the game. That's all I knew. But when I went to when I went to the university, I felt like this pressure, I had to prove myself and I had to um get I don't know what the word is, Steve. Um, I feel like I had to, I don't want to use the word certified. It's probably a different word. I feel like I had to have acceptance from my white peers who, where they saw me as their equal in their space and in my space. Cause I, cause I, I bring two different spaces to my workspace. Did, did the two of you did you feel you need to gain the acceptance or the head nod that, yeah, she's good by Sarah, black folks, Randy, white folks? Did, did, you, did you need the stamp of approval? Because I know, I, and I, I, I'm not saying this because Steve is here. Steve gets the stamp of approval. Like I've seen Steve do stuff, he gets the stamp of approval. But and I don't know if Steve goes after it, but he gets it. But Sarah and Randy, did you feel you needed the stamp of approval? Randy, we can start with you. Okay. Um, yeah, I did. Because usually when, you know, coming into a situation like I did, like I said, I started from, from, from the bottom. Like I was, like I said, a glorified hall monitor and I was coming in just to have a job. So the more that my strengths kind of played out, and the more things that they were they were able to see that I could do, it, it was kind of like, oh, he can do. Not saying that they thought I was dumb. I'm not saying that. But I also do feel there's a stigma when you come from a, 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 a athletic background. You you are kind of stereotyped as maybe a dumb jock or, you know, something to that nature. Or, you, you know, people think, oh, you only got by because you did sports and stuff like that without truly knowing you. So when I when I first started, yeah, that's where my work ethic kicked in, I think, in the beginning. I would just work 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 do things and volunteer to do things I just wanted to kind of immerse myself into um, the culture of the school because I just wanted to prove that I was capable and then that kind of caused like this ripple effect where I just kept doing things and they kept saying that I was capable of doing things and adding more to my plate and promoting me and adding more to my plate and promoting me and, and that's how I kind of earned my stripes and that's that's also when I started and went back for my master's degree when I started working in Whitefish Bay and I went back my father kind of talked me into it. And then I was in the building. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And, and it was always kind of like a proving something to myself. And I also want to prove to my, to my coworkers who were, who were all white that yes, I am. I'm just not some whatever. Also, I mean, funny story. I'm not going to, I don't want to keep talking, but I, when I first started working, the first thing people do when they hear about, if you ever play the sport, they Google you. So then I started getting everybody coming to me like, oh, I didn't know that you played college here, or I didn't know you were with the 49ers, and I didn't know you this and that, and I'm just like, yeah, you know, no, I'm downplaying, no, because I didn't want that to identify me, because I feel, I do feel like sometimes that, that's like a placeholder, like people will keep you there, 
And I never wanted that to be like the thing that defined me is like, oh, you're a football player, you're just here and it's, you're doing this. And, and then now I'm here and I'm trying to take off in this industry. So it's one of those things that to me was kind of me competing with myself and proving to myself that I could do it, but also just to let other people know and the people I worked with that I, I wasn't just a dumb jock. Like I'm very capable and I, I'll show you better than I can tell you. So I very much so sought their approval. So, so Randy, before Sarah goes, just, just so you know, I've never Googled you. I'm not impressed by your football, just so you know. Good. Good. Not, not one, thing, one thing we do need to Google, though, for our listeners out there, Eugene Pitchford, Pitchford the third, Milwaukee Bucks half-court shot. Oh, my. Yes. That, oh, no, that no, no, no. We're not, wait, wait. Hold, hold tight. We're not It's Googling the worst. That. It's the worst attempt of a half court shot I've ever seen in my life. No, it's it was, not. it was the reaction to afterwards, like you were successful. That, <laughs> that, that confidence not matching the skill set was what really caught my attention. <laughs> this might challenge the eighth grade narrative that we just heard. <laughs> Look, let me tell you something. The shot felt good when it left my hands. I think that's what we Google. That's what the listeners definitely need to Google. Yeah, but the part the part you always missed, Steve, I didn't have on tennis shoes. I had on dress shoes. I was concerned about sliding and falling. I'm not gonna shoot as hard as I can without any ten, without any grip. Safety first. I that's safety first. Like the athlete you are, safety first. Say, and look, safety first. And I, I was talking big time trash to the cheerleaders. Oh my god. If you if y'all could have heard what I was saying to them, it was it oh, was pretty bad, huh? You were confident. Oh yeah, I was very. I'm just, I'm always confident. So we know they got the last laugh then, basically. <laughs> Everybody missed. Yeah, but not like you. Not like that. <laughs> Sarah, what are your uh, your comments on that question? Not the googling Eugene, but going back to the topic. Back to back to the stamp of approval. Um, the way that I had to think about this question to me highlights another element of white privilege uh, that as white educators or professionals, we don't often have to step into workspaces where we feel that um, need to get that stamp of approval because it's often there's more given uh, just because we are white. So the way I had to think about that question even revealed that to me. Um, to answer your question, which I will try to do, to answer your question, I definitely felt a desire for that approval from Black coworkers who I respected, um, from my principal, Kanika Burks, who I have a ton of respect for, um, from your wife, for example. I, I definitely felt that. And I also constantly wanted their feedback, um, their thoughts around what they saw, what I could improve, what I could change. I wanted that feedback so that I could continue to learn and grow. Uh, because of how much I respected them as, as women and as female educators. I did not feel that need for that approval from just Black coworkers, period. Um, so it specifically applied to those who I had a lot of respect for and whom I desired to learn and grow from. Thank you for that. So we're talking about impacting students who don't look like us. We have Sarah Sutherland from Milwaukee, and she's a, a white female educator. We got Randy Drew, who's teaching in a suburb in Milwaukee, from Milwaukee as well. A black male who's teaching in a suburb of Milwaukee. So we're really looking at 
impacting students who don't look like like you. So do we do we get to the point if there can we say that Randy would be better as a better teacher with black students and Sarah's a better teacher with white students? That's an interesting question. That's a great question. I can jump in on that one. Oh, Randy, you want to go ahead? No, I'll go after you. Go ahead, man. You're good. Okay. Um, although I didn't necessarily feel the need for that stamp of approval, I did question myself a lot. I did doubt myself um, when I made the shift from teaching in the classroom to um, leadership in the position that I'm currently in as an academic dean. I definitely wondered, like, am I the right person for this job? Is Am I what kids need? Um, I believe that having Black educators for Black students is essential and having Black leadership in predominantly Black schools is essential. Um, and so I did doubt myself. I did question myself, like, am I the right person for this job because I am white? Um, I think that that's a twofold question. That's a great question, actually. I think, in my opinion, uh, I think I'd be good for both. Uh, we don't see a lot of Black males in education. And I think that the more positive black male influence that we can put in front of our young black men in that setting would be amazing um, because they can relate to them and that would maybe um, give them a, you know, a glimmer of hope or just something to believe in. Um, but I also think it goes the same way as me working in a predominantly white institution as well. Um, for, the, for the small population of African-American kids that go to school there, uh, it's extremely important for me to be there and advocate for them and stand up for them. But then it also gives, you know, the white kids who essentially grew up in a bubble, especially, you know, as us on this Zoom right here, understand how Whitefish Bay is made, um, to see something outside of the normal and to relate to somebody who does not look like them, who does not have the necessarily the same background as them. And I think it's a blessing because you, I get to see it from both sides. You know, I, I love interacting with young Black males, young Black people, period. I love building them up. I love... Uh, telling my story. I love showing them that you can do anything you want to do as long as you put your mind to it. I, I absolutely love that. And, and it shows when we do our African-American male camps in the summer, um, the connection that me, Eugene, and our staff have with those young men and their families is amazing. It's something I would never trade. But then I can also say the same thing as working in a predominantly white school district. Um, the relationships that I've built with, with uh, white kids and their families, um, the way that some of them open up, uh, to me and talk to me and, and you know the respect and um, I also do feel I, I'll be honest when you're when you're the only black male or one of few you kind of get that cool factor right uh, where you from or they want to talk or they think they know the music or you know for so long when I worked there for the longest time I would never wear short sleeve shirts because I have a lot of tattoos so I never want anybody to see my tattoos because once again I didn't want to be judged but then the more that you get comfortable and the more you start divulging more yourself to people who don't look like you miss or not, know, or not necessarily know your story, then the more questions they have. And now it's like, oh, Mr. Drew got tats or, oh, Mr. Drew got earrings or, you know, get to talk where you from and, you know, what school did you go to? And then they find out you play college football. They find, so it's all these things that kind of culminate into a great relationship. And I think in, in Whitefish Bay, I've, I've kind of built that up to a great situation. But I also would say if I was at Milwaukee College Prep, my impact may be more immediate because they can look at me right away and just identify with me being a black male. So I, I think it goes both ways, but that, that's an amazing question. All right, so I, 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 I got the, two. 
Oh, go ahead, let me let me just finish that, round it, round it off or complete it, or at least get you into the next question, Eugene. I, that capacity needs to be built up for everybody. So I appreciate both responses because the capacity, I feel in predominantly white institutions a lot, and, and we need more diversity across the board in education. Like you said, black males, it's probably two, 3% in, in education nationally. So uh, we definitely need more diversity when we talk ethnic diversity in our schools. It, and I, we really need the capacity built up for everybody. Like everybody has to go on this page to, to continue to grow because in predominantly white institutions, what I see happening otherwise is they go, well, you know what? I don't have to get better. Uh, I don't have to grow. I'm, Steve can just sit where I'm at Steve. and I'll let Randy handle the, Steve. the black Steve, hold student. Up, hold up, Steve, before you go, go, go back a little bit. Cause I, I know exactly what you're about to say, but say it the way me and you would get, get their opinions on what you really saying. Um, yeah. Of yeah. I, I, I want to, who's the representative for this? Who's the representative for that? Correct. Stop. Correct. I, I want to see what their faces look like when you say that. <laughs> well, you may have to fill it in for me because I'm maybe I'm on the, on the zone a little bit differently, but I'm really thinking of that Who, who's in a the predominantly white institution. I think they're always looking otherwise for a person to, I don't have to get better. I'm going to find, there, we're having an academic issue with a black student. I got to find Eugene or Randy to handle that. And now I'm out of this situation. I don't have to grow. I don't have to do anything uh, because I'll find them. And then I, and, and I question that all the time going, well, if we had a Hmong student or we had a Latinx student or we had some other, put it, fill a, a, white, blank, student. a white student, are you going to find, you going to find Sarah and Steve? Correct. So we all, we all have to get better on it. And at the same time, understand that there is cultural connections that students need to, need to, uh, that's easier to connect with and role modeling, all that's real too. But I, I really want institutions to keep pushing themselves like, no one should have an out in this and say, I don't have to continue to grow and get better. Um, and one thing, maybe Eugene, before I, this is where you're going with that or ask the question that I didn't ask. No, you, you hit it, you hit it. We're always talking about like who we competitive. So Eugene and I'll joke around more than anything, but who, who can be more effective in situations, right? Can I, I feel extremely confident that I could go uh, in the city of Milwaukee, Chicago, LA, and teach be very effective. And I would even say I could be more effective than Eugene just because of my competitive spirit, even oh, though he's gonna oh, no, be able no, to say, no. Hey, no, I'm gonna be more effective, right? So I think that that's something that, uh, I, and I like both your responses because you hit both both points with that. Go with what you were thinking, Eugene. No, no, that you, you hit it on the head because often, well, they'll say, well, Eugene is black. Well, you go find Eugene. Well. Like, I'm invested in this, but you need to be invested in it also. I think that's I think that's what you were saying, Steve. And what'll happen is they won't give you the white students, which is an insult, right? And that's where Randy was mentioning that too. Like, you need to be you need to be affect. All students need to get and you need to be in front of, and right. and all students need to benefit from. Yeah, you. I bring it. Everybody need to experience my greatness. Correct. Correct. That's where I was going. That's okay. really summarizes what we're talking about. There we about, go. Right there, there we go. I'm a one-stop shop. I'm like that corner store in the hood or in the suburbs. I'm the corner store. Um, so the two questions. I'm, I'm getting ready to give you two a very hard question, but I want to just to just to allow you two to breathe for a minute. I'm going to give you the easy question first. 
So last night, and I know Steve has no idea what we're talking about. So this this what makes it pretty pretty cool. Last night there was a, like a two hour and thirty minute versus on uh, uh, between Too Short and E Forty. I need you two to tell me: Is Steve Gurner is he a Too Short type of dude or is he an E Forty type of dude? remember how I said one of the most important things is being genuine I do not care about the verses oh, <laughs> I know they're on. going on I know everyone's tuned in I know I should care I don't care so oh. I'm gonna have to pass off to Randy the, the vibe I'm getting which they which they both are Bay Area legends and I like them both but if I had to choose I would say Steve is definitely more of an E40 person Okay, okay, Steve, you have to Google Google those two guys. All right. Well, you you know uh, you I made fun of your half court shot, and you're trying to trying to see if my lack of knowledge of pop pop culture or, or rap would uh, if you can give me knowledge. if you can give me an E40 song, I'll do a backflip <laughs> right now. Just I cannot. Okay, good. I cannot. Good, because that would mess up my thoughts if you knew his songs. That, that would I, de I definitely Steve. wanted you to name an E-40 song. <laughs> Steve, it's okay. You can be yourself. You can be genuine. Yeah. That's right. That's right. All right, so so here's the hard question. Here, 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 in all seriousness, so so Sarah and, and, and Randy, um, Steve and I often consult, work with districts, work with schools, and or like new teachers of all races and they are terrified of working with anything different from them like when i say terrified terrified isn't the correct word they're super help me out steve like they just don't want to teach anything that looks different from them and so my, my question then is it kind of it kind of sets up like a fixed mindset or a defeated mindset but what is one thing Sarah and Randy that is a must that if Sarah if you're white you must do this in a black environment Randy you're black you must do this in a white environment for survival Uh, I'll go first. Um, my ability to social navigate. I'm, I must be able to and maintain my social navigation skills uh, in that environment in order for me to feel successful. Um, and I have extremely close white friends. Um, I, I work closely with Jeff. Jeff is a good friend of mine. You know Jeff. Um, a lot of a lot of teachers and coaches that I'm very close with. And it's funny, I can be myself, but my my jargon is even different when I'm speaking to my white friends as opposed to some friends that I grew up in on 39th and Burla or whatever. Same content. I just switch up a few words in order for everybody to understand what I'm talking about or just not to come off or be abrasive or say something that's just not uh, appropriate for the setting. So it, it's funny that I can still be myself, 
But then, like I said, again, that's one of my strengths that I have the ability to still talk and get my point across, just make sure I'm doing it in a responsible manner. So that for me, that's a must. I, I have to be able to social navigate in order for me to succeed in my world. Okay. This is a really hard question for me because I feel like there's multiple like must that you need to have. Um, number one, no matter what environment you're in, you must love kids and be there for the right reason. Like kids have to remain at the center of what you do, no matter what, like period, point blank, that's a non-negotiable. Um, I think if you keep kids at the center of what you do, you are able to have a lot of other things that go with that. You're able to maintain a growth mindset because you want to constantly be doing what's best for them. You're able to um, check your own mindset and your own bias and your own privilege because you constantly want to be doing what's best for your kids and serving them. Uh, you're able to be humble and to listen to your students and to learn from them um, because you want to do what's best for them. You are able to take other perspectives and see the curriculum that you're teaching through the lens of your students um, or through the lens of those who don't look like you because you want what's best for them. You're able to build those relationships with students and families because you want what's best for them. So when you really keep your students at the heart of what you do, um, I think so much comes along with that. Let me ask, hold, hold tight, Steve. Let, let, me, let, me, let me follow up with that, Sarah. And have you chime in, and Randy, you can chime in too. But let me let me ask it a different way. I got placed in I got placed in the school. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm kind of scared. Like, like I don't think it can work because we're different. Because we hear that all the time too. Like it'll never like Sarah. It'll it'll never work because you're you're white, and Randy, it'll never work because you're black. Like, what do you say to people who are just downright terrified? Yeah, I mean, I would ask why. Like, what are you afraid of? Like, I guess for me, that's a that's a hard one to wrap my head around and understand. Um, my my first response would be then maybe this isn't for you. If you're going to be stuck at being afraid, uh, that would honestly be my first response. But if I if if I want to push that person through that, just understanding why, what is the basis of that fear? What is the basis of that intimidation? Is it rooted in, in stereotypes you have around black youth? Um, is it rooted in stereotypes or fears you have around the neighborhood or the environment? And digging into that why to unpack why you would be uncomfortable with that, because there's no reason to be uncomfortable. Um, I would I would just say, oh my God. Okay, hold on, hold on. Say hi. Okay, you gotta be quiet though, okay? I would personally just say that um she just threw my whole concentration off. Oh, people who are scared. Okay. Uh to go kind of back to what uh Steve and Eugene said, I have felt like I've been called in situations where they wanted me to come in where there, where there was a black student involved and they didn't know what he might do or you know, oh, you might ease the situation a little more. And, and at first I used to be okay with it because I wanted to be a safe place for the kids while they were in their principal's office or be a safe place for them while they were there. And they didn't feel like everybody was ganged up on them. But then there were times where I felt like, 
well, why do I have to come in here with this kid? You know, then I started feeling like I was only coming there because they were black. So it, it's a very twofold question, but I, I think that um, anybody who said they might, their fear, whatever, I think it goes back to what Ms. Sutherland was saying is basically just understanding what you're there for and, and what's your purpose. And, and then you, then you kind of face that the way you need to. So I don't think there's a right answer for it, but you know, you got to understand what you're doing. I would also encourage any white educators who feel that way to lean into that because I think what that highlights again is this layer of privilege of always being in the majority. And so if there's an uncomfortability of what does it feel like to to be in the minority in that situation, then that says a lot too. Because I think that really highlights this, like you've had the privilege of being in the majority, you know, in every environment and you've never chosen to to not have that. And I think it's important I mean, I think that's something actually that when I taught overseas for that year, that really showed me of what does it feel like to be the minority in every way, language, culture, race, nationality, I mean, you name it, 100% of the time, all the time. And I just got a tiny, tiny, tiny little sliver of what that felt like in, in that experience I had teaching abroad that I'm extremely grateful for because it gave me an entirely different perspective when I came back to the U.S. and it showed me the privilege that I had had that I had never realized I had had um, of always being able at some point in my day, I can always go somewhere where I will um, be in the majority and nobody will look at me and nobody will really notice me because I can just blend in. Um, and so if, <clears throat> if some of the underlying fear or discomfort from a white educator has to do with that, um, I would really encourage them to, to lean into that and whether it has to do with what that feels like, whether it has to do with their own biases or stereotypes, but really unpacking that why and then leaning into that discomfort because um, that's the only way to create change and it has to start with your mindset. So as you reflect on, on your, at your schools and in education, really in, in Wisconsin, but also across the country, what, what's necessary for professional development? So what would you say is needed at the top of your list for professional development for teachers? So just any teachers anywhere or specifically? Yeah, I'm thinking of, um, you can go to the um, more general. Yeah, when you think of what would help uh, impact students who don't look like you, how, what professional development's necessary? For white educators, I think there's a lot. I think number one, like history. Do you understand the history of our country and why things are the way they are? When we look at the city of Milwaukee, specifically in the segregation here, understanding the history of our city and our community, and that can go for any community or city that you live in, understanding the history of why it is the way it is. Um, I think learning how to have a critical lens when you look at curriculum, who is being represented, who isn't, whose voices are being heard, whose voices are not. That would be a big one, especially within ELA and social studies. Okay, so you and brought then, up you brought up Milwaukee, which is extremely segregated. So that, that is a, a problem with lots of the issues that we're seeing due to segregation, because then your, your neighbors, your friends, your family, uh, you don't have to get out. Uh, you can be around the same culture, same ethnicity, 
your whole life almost grocery store yeah. everything uh, everything huge problems in Milwaukee that way and that that directly affects education and and then not only do we need the professional development but then think about it, it, take either question this question what professional development do we need and then the next question how do you handle when if you're going to talk uh, in a white predominantly white uh, with white teachers you're and going to have this happening in, in not in what's in that I know of, but it's happening and we're seeing this in California, some areas of Utah, some areas of Arizona, they're having professional development and white privilege, institutional racism uh, are making people stop and go, heck no, I don't believe there is white privilege. I don't believe there is institutional racism. I don't believe in these things and they're stopping the professional development. Uh, thoughts on that? either of those two questions, what's needed in professional development, and then how do you handle that when your colleagues, you look left and right, and they don't believe in, in some of these things that you believe are fundamental for students to understand the impact students. Well, I, I also think that for, for me, it's, it's also a different perspective. Uh, being being a, a black educator in an all white setting, um, I think uncomfortable conversations are something that's much needed for us uh, teacher development. I think, like you said, a lot of a lot of teachers they understand the situation at hand. It's just it's just uncomfortable to talk about, and it, and it's kind of like hopefully if you don't speak about it, it'll go away, or it won't be an issue. Um, so uncomfortable conversations and just being accountable, um, holding them to that to that standard, understanding, especially with not with the times of today, with so much social justice and social reform. Um, inequalities and inequities being brought to the front line that this is something that you cannot dodge. I had a conversation with Eugene the other day about a situation about an opportunity that I had and he was like oh man you know it's, it's your year you got to do this you got to do that and I, I posed the question to like I kind of felt funny at first about like are they do people give opportunities or are people starting to reach out now because somebody needs to make a black splash and what I mean by that is it's the right time right so you want to you want to put somebody in a position of power or somebody to win or, or or put somebody in a position to make change and it looks really good to use a black male right now so we'll just use him because he's the one that we know but i also had to look at it like if i if i'm going to be that agent of change like miss sutherland said earlier then i need to take and capitalize on every single opportunity that i get to make change because me elevating myself in whatever capacity it may be I may be able to reach 10, 20 more kids or put 10, 20 more people in a position I wouldn't have done or been able to do beforehand. And, and also I would say too, with me being one of the only black educators in that situation, I've never had the problem where people to me have said that uh, this won't work and this won't change anything. I've also, I've had the inverse of that. So many people are on board and, and want to do things like the privilege walk at school and, and, and want to be on social justice reform and talk about these issues and bring it to the forefront. So I've had nothing but positive uh, conversations about it. But then again, would that be the same way on the flip side if I was in an all black school? Because I know black educators who ask me all the time, like, how you work out there with all those white people? I couldn't do it. You know, I'm not, I ain't, I ain't with all that. Then I could just easily say, well, I ain't trying to break up 10 fights a day. You know, I'm kind of stereotyping. Yeah, but it's like, am I more comfortable being one of few or am I more comfortable with getting in pump people's faces all the day, every, every day? I could do either one, but it's what I'm accustomed to. It's what I've been exposed to. So uh, that's a good question though, Dr. Kerner. 
All right, yeah, so just to, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay, you got I, was, I was just going to say, just to add on to that, I feel getting back to this question of what, what about educators who, who don't believe in um, systemic racism and injustice, and I think that's where the history part is important, because this isn't a theory, this is facts, this is the reality of how our nation was founded and how it's been run. And so looping in that history prior to diving into um, systemic racism, I think is important to build kind of a, a foundation. Um, but fortunately, I've had a very similar situation to Mr. Drew where, where within our, we've actually tackled this as a network and have had very positive responses um, from white and black educators coming together to have conversations about privilege, about um, race, about equity and inequity and what, what we can change. Um, and I also have the privilege of working in an environment where our staff um, is, is white and black. We don't have much diversity outside of that, a little bit, but it's also provided an opportunity to have some important conversations with one another uh, to learn from each other in that as well. Yeah, that's something that um, Dr. Garner and myself talk a, a, a lot about because we just happen to know a lot of people. Uh, I, I'll be honest. And so Dr. Garner, I'm gonna say it so people don't get mad at you, I, I'll say it. We, we happen to know a lot of people who don't think white privilege is a thing or equity is important or diversity is important. We happen to know these individuals and these individuals are usually individuals of power. They're, they're not Randy, they're not Sarah. They're, they're people of power. And the power kind of dictates how an organization moves. And it's, there's, there's, a, there's, it's, there's so much we can unpack there. But I, I want to tap into this. You, you, you two are two power players. And you, it, like, you two are very creative. What's a space that you want to tackle that you haven't tackled yet? Like you got it in the back of your brain. Like, you know, one day I'm gonna do this, or I'm gonna I'm gonna conquer this, or I'm gonna do this. Like, what is that in the back of your brain that you haven't touched yet? Dr. Gurner, I'm including you in this one. Are you talking about uh personally or career-wise? Something educational. Something in the back of your brain is there, but you've been too busy. Maybe you haven't had the confidence. Maybe it wasn't the right timing. What's something that when it's all said and done, Steve, Randy, Sarah, I did this. Because you all have a lot of accomplishments up to this point. But why don't you start us off with that? You give us yours and then we'll feed okay. off. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'll, I'll tell you mine. Um, you have to think about your own question, huh? No, I know. I, I know the. I, I got so much. <laughs> I got so much. I, I'm. I'm like for real. I got. I got hits. Um. I would like to do a situation where I. Hey, Steve, you know this. I would like to do a situation and get serious about it, where I travel the nation just presenting. No educational topics. Travel the nation, travel the world. I want to get to. I want to get to Europe. That's one of my goals in the next two years to get to Europe to present 
the next tenure. And then after that, I want to get to Africa and present. So it's in the back of my mind. I haven't really worked towards it, but it's there. Europe and Africa called me and they said, they're not letting you in right now. So keep working nationally <laughs> and then think about that later on. But 2021, you're not accepted in Europe or Africa yet. Okay, Steve. pushing for it. Oh, okay, Steve. Maybe, how about this? I want to present West Bend. <laughs> how, how about that? All right, so after you, you do your tour of presentation, I'm going to have to go on tour as well. Um, a couple of things that, well, I'm really passionate about literature, about representation in literature, about the importance of Black literature. Um, and so something that I've been starting to work on is writing some children's books. Um, specifically, yeah, specifically, um, one that I'm thinking of specifically to empower Black girls. It's kind of a mix of um, history, but also like empowerment. Um, and then another one <clears throat> for, for boys of like all diverse backgrounds. Um, I'd like to do some books that are geared towards and featuring children who are biracial. Um, because when you look into the literature and book industry, it's extremely difficult to find representation of biracial people. Um, and I've just seen how much I've had number of students who are biracial who may typically identify as black, but when I brought a book in that featured a biracial protagonist, I mean, their whole face lit up, their whole demeanor changed of like, I'm like this person. Um, and so that's something that's that's really important to me. And then kind of going along with that, I would love to dip into some of the curriculum, curriculum side of things and really digging into what curriculums are schools using, whose voices are heard, whose are not, who's represented, who isn't. Um, so I guess that's all within the realm of, of literature and children's literature. Um, I guess I'll stay in that same family. Uh... I, I've, I've grown to love public speaking um, and doing presentations with uh, Mr. I, I love doing that. So I would, I would love to also be able to travel and, and tell my story and, and speak confidently on topics that mean a lot to me. And, and I want to, uh, I pitched an idea to, to Mr. Pitchford a while ago. It seems like I tell this man everything, right? But uh, I'd also, in the, same, in the same breath as Ms. Southern, I would love to uh, write a book about um, empowerment as well, but tell my story and, and kind of give people a look into the life of social navigation. And, and that's so fascinating to me because like I said, I grew up on 39th and Berlai. I'm a, I'm a proud, I love it. I'm a product of Sherman Park Boys and Girls Club. Like people can say they went to Sherman Park Boys and Girls Club, but I was at Mary Ryan when it was a shack. I was at Mary Ryan. We had to go to Townsend, Townsend Elementary for a year while they was building a new Sherman Park. And then we went back to Sherman Park. So You didn't play I'm basketball in the nighttime at Sherman Park. You sound crazy. I lived on 39th and Burlow. That was two then blocks you saw, away. Then you saw my finger rolls and layups. I never saw you there. <laughs> but it's, I never saw you there. But I would love to write a book about that, about just about the two worlds. It's, it's basically living in two worlds. You know, when you're a 220 kid, you know, you literally up at 530 in the morning. You know, you own the bus stop at 550. You know, you got an hour bus ride in because the Nicolet school started at 720. So, I mean, it's like that's those worlds of, you know, when you get on the bus, you almost got to be somebody else. When you get back off that bus, you turn back into somebody else. And a lot of that stuff when you're younger is based off what you perceive is survival. 
or acceptance, not knowing that it would be prevalent in your life later just for you to be successful or what, once again, we perceive as success. So um, that is something that I would definitely, uh, that I'm going to do sooner than later. And, and Randy's referencing the uh, 220, the chapter 220 program, which made an impact uh, on your life. That was a program that was, just explaining it for listeners that may not know, that was a program that would, that was really looking at uh, taking students from the city, so city of Milwaukee and, and busing them to uh, suburb schools. So basically you're talking again, segregated areas. So mostly uh, uh, black Latinx communities and busing them to the uh, suburbs. So, and that program is no longer in, in effect anymore in Wisconsin. But I, it, that would be very interesting uh, from the perspective of another whole topic or conversation of the impact of that, because there's pros and cons to that. People, it, it's helped them and people say it's outstanding. Others have said it's, it's, it's not helpful, uh, but it definitely impacted your life. And that, that's a really good conversation. If you could write and present on, on that would be very powerful. Uh, definitely. You also know, Dr. Gurner, too, that the 220 program was made to go both ways. It wasn't just made Correct. for city kids. It was also made for suburban kids to yes. come to the city, but it was only a one-way participation. Correct. On you know, so Correct. that, that to me was all interesting. Yeah, because when I was younger, I never knew that. I always thought that I this program, that. it was yeah. strictly for African-American, or I'll just say city kids to integrate and be able to go to school in the suburbs and get the whole experience. That whole program was set to go both ways. It just never happened that way because wow. wait, wait, hold tight. No, it, it does go both ways. They go to the Rufus King High School. Ah, that's true. That is true. Yeah, let's be very but not not, not in the sheer numbers, not even close. Yeah, you? not right, not even close. And that that's a really good one to talk to and continue through that journey because then you think about just the impact of students from the city to busing. Think of that, the burden of being on a bus that long. Mm-hmm. Can you participate in sports to stay there? Who's going to pick you up, take you back? Yep. Um, what, how, how involved can I be? How will I be accepted in the community? There's a lot to that to unpack. That'd be great if you can continue to, to talk about that. Definitely. That, that's, that's what I will do. But yeah, definitely. And Eugene almost took the credibility of our show down a little bit. So we, I have to make sure it's a credible show when he starts talking about finger rolls in the park at night and playing in the hoops. Uh, again, I'm not sure of uh, the accuracy of that. So, very, look, first team. I was always picked. I was um, a point guard. Not a Sherman point guard. Not a Sherman Park. You you were the first one picked when that basketball rolled onto the yard onto the street. Hey, go get that. That was your first pick. <laughs> Look, I'm a short version of Magic Johnson. Oh, oh my God. Like the finger roll, the passing. <laughs> and I talk smack. So that made me like that made me even better because my bark, I got a bark. I so, definitely agree that I bet you talk the most smack. I, no, I definitely agree with that. All, all time. Like I'm an all-star talking trash. I don't know I if I can that. back it up, but I can talk it. I believe that. All right. So we want to slowly start winding this thing down. And you know, I have one final, final question. And, and that final question is just, just touch on, because we're in this space right now, 
just touch on currently, and this, this is going off topic a little bit, but how has COVID affected your job? Like things you do differently? Like there's some obvious things, but how, how, how has COVID affected you all? Uh, well, I'll, I'll start with that. Um, you know, uniquely, we're one of the few few districts that have decided to go back blended. We've been back blended since this whole thing started, um, which I which I truly do believe was the right move to do. Um, but but then again, we we were affected a bit, quite quite a bit differently. You know, we're in a suburb, more controlled environment, um, a community based uh, thing, so you're not getting people from all over. So, so it was probably a little safer. Um, Job wise, you know, you get both sides. You get people who are fighting tooth and nail for their kids to be in school. You getting people who are fighting tooth and nail. They can't believe that the school building is open. Um, me being a coach kind of hit me a little more differently, a little more personal. I coach football and I fought like hell to get our kids on that football field. And we ended up having a seven game season. Um, and, and it was the, probably the best thing we could have did for the kids morale. I mean, not to be around people told you can't see people, not to be in class, not to walk the halls with your peers. Um, we provided a, a platform for the kids to have some social interaction and do it in a positive manner. So COVID's been tough, but um, with my district being a little smaller and more controlled, uh, we, we've been able to bypass some things and, and, and work through it responsibly and, and try to keep the numbers down. I definitely understand that that's a totally different beast when it comes to NPS in public school, uh, the NPS uh, scene, but uh, it's just one of those things that we've been working towards. So for me, it's been tough, you know, your social interaction at work, you know, wearing a mask, being cognizant of always keeping your hands clean and sanitizing. I mean, I've been in the building ever since the pandemic started. I haven't missed a day. Even when the kids weren't there, I've been in school every single day because my job doesn't require me to be in front of students 24 hours. So uh, it's been different, but we've been getting through it. So we, we found a way. Yeah, we've kind of had the opposite experience. We've, we have been virtual since uh, March, staff and students. We still are. Um, we're looking to potentially start a partial hybrid model at the end of uh, January. Uh, it's had a huge effect on staff, on students, on families. Um, I will say just the innovation and adaptability of staff and students alike has been pretty incredible. It's unfortunate that people have, have had to have been placed in this situation, but seeing, seeing students still um, persevere through all the challenges to, to still learn, to still grow, to still, to still get the knowledge and see staff persevere through finding a way no matter what, what is going on um, for their students, for them, and to continue to find a way forward and to continue to love students and build those relationships and move them forward academically has been has been really inspiring and I'm grateful to have been part of be part of such a great team uh, that's been able to do that <clears throat> we are partially going back end of January but the majority of our families have opted to stay virtual um, I think what we've done so far has definitely been the best decision for us with just the number of cases um, we've had with staff and families, even being virtual. I don't know, I don't think we, we could have been hybrid or we could have stayed open. So I'm grateful we've had that consistency throughout, um, but certainly the impact on families and students has been huge um, from an academic standpoint and even a mental and emotional health standpoint. Love it, I love it. Uh, like we thank you all for joining us 
you two are two power players. Like, Steve, I, I know you're thinking what I'm thinking, but you two have such a bright future. Like, like the world in education is untapped for you two. And Steve and myself want to encourage you all to challenge yourself and go after the things that are difficult for you. You two got, you two got, you two got it. Like you have the it. Like there's certain things you can't teach. You two have the it. And so challenge yourself. Like go for the stuff they tell you you can't do. Or go for the stuff that's not popular, but it's 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 correct for kids. Like you 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 two have it. Like we normally don't have these conversations on the podcast, right? But but you two have it. Like literally anything you could think of, you two could pull off. And so we want to give you those those words of encouragement because, like you know, our book is called Superhero Educator, but you two embody that. So don't don't sell yourself short. And, you know, at times, Steve and I talk about, you know, this, 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 and this, and it becomes routine. Well, don't let it become routine for you all because you two are great. Steve. Well stated. Well stated. All right. So we, we, we're we about to end, but we want to do a little bit of, uh, Steve, I know you're not ready for this. That's why it's going to be funny. A little bit of quick fire, quick fire questions where you just got to give Whatever comes to your whatever comes to your head, okay. So, the question is, who are you going to start with? I'm going to ask them both. Professionally, the very best teacher you have ever seen is who? Your wife, Kyla Pitchford. My principal, Amy Levick. Steve, your turn for a question. I I wish teachers would listen to their students and ask them what they think about their lessons and what they're learning and how much they enjoy school. I wish teachers or educators would, I, I guess, kind of with Ms. Southern, so I, I guess I wish they would care more about the individual than accomplishments, get to know their students. I wish Steve would. Is that a real question? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a real you question. You beat me to the punch. You know, right? He knew what I was going to ask <laughs> next. I wish uh, Dr. Gurner would come out with another book. Hey, look I'm, not, look, I'm not trying to spill the beans, but we had that talk on Friday. I had to whip Steve in shape. We had this talk on Steve, didn't we? We did. We, we had did. this talk on Friday. The people want more, Steve. Randy's giving you peer pressure. <laughs> no, encouragement. <All> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wish Steve would find that half court shot and do a quick uh, screen share to show us here before oh, we leave off. There you, there you go. Way to bring that full circle. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> oh. Steve, you got another question? Uh, let's go with, uh, let's go. 
everything becomes political at some time. I wish politicians, when we talk education, I wish politicians would take politics out of education. <laughs> Actually care about students and families. Tomorrow, I am going to do blank. Go on a run. Have an awesome workout in the morning. You know what Eugene's answer is going to be? Eat more candy. So I'm glad you, again, you focused on the fitness. <laughs> Good encouragement. <laughs> Sarah and Randy are great hey, encouragers. We're doing what we can. That's, That's all we can strength. do. That's all we can do. All right. So this is how we end the show. Um, this is like the shout out portion of the show. So if you have anything to sell, to pitch, to discuss, to highlight something that you're working on or you have or anything that you're doing, this will be the space for it. And it will go like this. I'll go first. Randy will go second. Um, no, I'll go first. Steve go second. Randy go third. Sarah, you're gonna go fourth. And I'm gonna give it exclusive. I'm trying to. I'm trying to get this up here because I don't think you cannot minimize Zoom while when you are recording the meeting. Dang it. So I may, you know, can't. I can't show it to you. So never mind. Never mind. So I am going to point. All educators, I want you to go to Amazon.com and I want you to type in the keyword search. I want you to type in Superhero Educator right now. You could, after Christmas delivery, purchase our book, Superhero Educator by Steve Garner and by yours truly. It's on Amazon.com. 15 elements that make educators the best of the best. Um, we wrote this to help our great educators become super. So uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy this. Also, to the world out there, um, Superhero Education, Center for Urban Education Ministries, sponsoring the Black Excellence Speaker Series that begins January 30th. On January 30th, one of the people in the Zoom right now is presenting. He's one of the four presenters. Randy Drew will be presenting on January 30th for, for us, along with three other presenters. And um, the flyers will be coming out soon. Uh, we want to encourage you all to tap into that, uh, share it with your networks. Um, Randy's going to spill, spill his knowledge. We're just kind of doing the behind the scenes thing and Randy's up, Randy's up there with a high power uh, group of, other, of another three people. And our goal is to bring you quality PD January 30th, um, February 6th, February 13th, February 20th, February 27th. You're getting the best of the best y'all black excellence speaker series and they're going to spill their hearts out to you. So, so save the save those dates. Um, I can't show you on the screen because you I just learned something. You can't record and minimize. So sorry, Randy. The flyer week one is done. It's in the books. Okay. It looks good. 
So, Steve, your turn. Sure, I want to thank Sarah and Randy for their, like Eugene stated, intelligent insights, very valuable information for, for our listeners and for everybody out in education and outside of education. And I think the connection would be great if, if you got connected with Randy or Sarah and continue the journey of learning more. And that's how we'd want to do it, collaborate with the people who, are, who get it and who are moving you along in your journey. Uh, so thank you, Sarah and Randy. Truly appreciate it. Also, uh, I'd like to talk about the Center for Urban Education Ministries. So get connected with the Center for Urban Education Ministries. It's a national group that works on strengthening urban education. So www.cuemnational.org. And Eugene made fun of my lack of knowledge at E40. I think if you would have mentioned Earl Stevens. Oh, come on, Steve. No, no, no. Voices no. and function. I would have got the two songs. Okay, <laughs> you know, let's let's just be more exact, I guess, is what I was looking for. So, Randy, you're up. <laughs> That's tough to follow. Uh, <laughs> definitely tough to follow. But I, I just uh, want to say thank you for inviting me on this podcast and uh, and, and speaking on these on these wonderful topics. Uh, like I said, my quasi uh, route to education has not been uh, traditional at all. Um, but the work that I'm doing is something that I would uh, rather be doing nothing else in the world. Uh, if I had something I would want to bring light to, I know I, I, I speak heavily on social navigation and the importance of it. But um, one thing else that, I, that I'm a firm believer in is uh, equity and access. And I think that once people are uh, brought into something or shown something, that it, it broadens their horizons. I think so many people are hindered by the fact that they just have never experienced it or have never had the means to enjoy something or to understand what it is. So I'm a firm believer and a firm supporter of equity and access. I hope that we can continue to create a platform where we are giving the, the, uh, the stage for people to, to experience multiple things and multiple avenues and just continue to grow as a people. Um, also, if you wanna know more about the African-American Male Initiative or the AAYI, uh, please contact myself or Mr. Pitchford. You can contact me at uh, Randy D, R-A-N-D-E-E-D at yahoo.com. Um, we are always looking for presenters, um, donations, insight, people who like to collaborate or, or form your own consortium in your own districts. And we definitely willing to help with that. So once again, thank you for all of that. And uh, it was a blessing. I just want to echo what, what Mr. Drew has said. Just thank you for having me. Um, being an educator is my passion. It's my calling. I love what I do. And it's an honor and a privilege to be able to have the time just to talk about that and learn from all of you here as well. Um, so thank you for that. Um, along with that, I'm very passionate about educational equity and, and access and even just looking at equity in our society as a whole. Um, so a little pl the plug I'm going to do is actually for a book that I, that I just wrote. It's called The Sun Still Rises, Hope and Healing in the Wake of Genocide. It's available on Amazon and on Barnes and Noble. Uh, the book is actually a collection of narratives of people who survived the Rwandan genocide as children and who survived and obviously had their lives ahead of them. And now as adults who are most of them in their 30s, how they healed, how they moved forward. I think this book is particularly important for us in the US here today when we look at the nation of Rwanda and how healing and reconciliation has been possible and to learn from that with the own 
reconciliation that we need to do here when we're talking about race in America. Um, and looking at Rwanda's model for um, number one, public confession, and looking at the need for institutions, um, white-led and white-run institutions, um, to look at this model of public confession, and then also looking at this model of communal healing uh, and communities coming together to heal. So just wanted to share that. Um, those, those themes really come through, through, through the stories of these people who have survived. So they were just interviews that I had done that I transcribed. And um, like I said, it's called The Sun Still Rises, Hope and Healing in the Wake of Genocide. So thank you again for having me. Sarah, can you, can you do me a favor and, and say the title one more time and where people can get it? Yes, no problem. The Sun Still Rises, Hope and Healing in the Wake of Genocide. It's available on Amazon and also barnesandnoble.com. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Ooh, Steve, high power, right? Oh, yes, excellent. High, high, high powered, and we, we, we appreciate you all and you two young folks motivate old people like myself and, 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 and Steve, who's really old. So um, I, I'm sure Steve and I will have a conversation later on tonight about how we gotta, we gotta, we gotta step up because y'all stepping up. So, so we, we trying to be the OGs in this. So, so my, your, your energy and your passion, like we felt it. So um, thank you to you, the two of you. And we're gonna ask you two to hold on for one second. We're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna end the show. Um, but we thoroughly thank you all for for spilling your souls on our podcast. And um, we appreciate you two. And hopefully the listeners enjoy it. And we are out. See you at the next show. Thanks again for listening to our superhero education podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and key concepts to battle the chaos and save the day for all students. Boldly transform lives and be a superhero educator.